0: For those of you who haven't seen a data center, imagine a very large room with rows and rows of big cabinets full of servers or storage devices or network devices. Over time, those devices are consuming more and more energy. There was a report that was put out two years ago predicting that by 2025, the data center market would consume more energy than India as a subcontinent does. Some very innovative thinkers got together looked to the marketplace. They, they anticipated where it was going. They literally ripped up the, the rule books and started again. I'm Phil Lawson Shanks. I'm the Chief Innovation and Technology Officer at Aligned.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, And today, how Phil Lawson Shanks joined a line to build forward-thinking solutions for the next wave of data centers. All this and more on Code Story. Phil Lawson Shanks has had a convoluted path into tech. In the past, he worked for a company that owned and operated airports in Europe. And he got involved in the very early days of servers. So early that this was back when they were just PCs under someone's desk. This took him down the path of migrating mainframes to more cost-effective productivity machines. He worked for Compact at one point, which brought him to the States. Personally, he enjoys risk-taking. He rides a Ducati motorbike way too fast enjoys adventure sports, jumping out of planes, and rock climbing. In 2013, the founders of Phil's current company saw the way the data center industry was going. They saw that the energy consumption around data centers was going to be astronomical. And they started building some incredibly innovative things in this area and got Phil's attention. Three years ago, he joined the team. This is the creation story of aligned
0: so aligned is a data center designer builder operator um, and there are lots of data centers out there on the planet a lot of them sort of migrated to say from those computer rooms as early computer rooms um, and uh, the data center business uh, really transitioned uh, and it was more a, a cost benefit analysis um, if if you think about a company they've got uh, a lot of their productivity units on, on servers running, usually in, in a, a building that they own and operate. And there's a certain cost associated with that. You know, there's the, just the capex of buying the gear and the opex of operating in the people. Over time, it became more efficient to put all of that gear in someone else's building. And that was the birth of the data center business. Way sort of back in the '90s, end of the '90s, um, as the internet was really starting to ramp up before the, that first bubble burst. So there's a lot of buildings out there, um, and a lot of those were designed based on on traditional computer rooms. So raised floor, ceiling plenums, uh, cooling devices that really hadn't changed that much since the 1920s when they were invented. You know, a compress very much like a big fridge, a, a compressor, a coil, and and forced air. But over time, obviously computers have got much, much more sophisticated and more powerful. So the needs have changed. So being part of this, this process uh, and the businesses I've been involved in, uh, like uh, the, my last one was looking how the internet was operating um, and those main peering locations in the country, moving those out to more tertiary markets and having many, many points of on-ramps basically in peering locations. As the servers have become more powerful, as data centers have, have cha- the needs changed, um, I was looking around at the next cooling technology, and uh, I came across this particular company who invented some fascinating product. And uh, three years ago, um, after lots of conversations, I, I jumped ship to come here because I see this is the next evolution of uh, of what we're doing in this
1: market. So, when you jumped into the company, tell me about. Where the product was, and that, and and even if you, you know, if you want to highlight the stories of how it started, but tell me about those first, that first set of products for the data centers, for how you, how you approach this, and and um, how you and your team brought it to life. Back in the day, um, about twenty thirteen
0: well, probably 2012, but the company started in 2013, some very innovative thinkers uh, got together and looked at the marketplace. They they anticipated where it was going, and in particular, um, the environmental impact of data centers. Uh, And just to put that in context, um, there was a report that was put out two years ago So it's probably well out of date now with with COVID, but they were predicting that by 2025, the data center market would consume more energy than India as a subcontinent does. So putting that into perspective and the the materials that we use and and all of that, they wanted to build the most sustainable data center product on the market. So they they literally ripped up the, the rule books and started again and created some really innovative thinking and products and services. The one that um, I really want to highlight is the cooling technology. Because uh, again, if you, if you think about, um, for those of you who haven't seen a data center, imagine a very large room um, with rows and rows of big cabinets full of servers or, or storage devices or network devices. And um, over time, those devices are consuming more and more energy. So bringing energy into a building that's just a function of working with the, the energy supplier and the distributor and you're know, putting more transformers outside and all of that. That's, that's not insurmountable. But removing the heat generated by those devices, that's the critical part. And um, if you think about um, how even the biggest companies, you know, the, the, um, the hyperscalers, the cloud providers, how they lay out their platforms in um, third party, they obviously have their own data centres, but you know, they use other people as well. So when they lay those out, they're forced to put them in a certain format. So the hottest equipment, the, the equipment that's using the most energy are in the middle in the middle parts of the rows and then it gets progressively less energy towards the edges. maybe 25 in the middle kilowatts of use down to about three at the edges. just because the air is pushing under the floor it's coming out vents, you know and the, the majority of the coolings in the middle. But you're pretty much stuck at that point. And the, the cooling devices are massive, you know, 12 foot by, by 6 foot by 4 foot wide, and they're just ringing the room. Um, and with the best will in the world, you're, you're going to get about 100 to 110 degrees of, of heat absorption rejection from one of those devices. And they're massive, and they're, they're a fixed asset. They're usually part of the depreciation of the whole building of the data center. So you're not going to change those. So what happens is the customer comes in, they put their gear in, and then two years later, AMD, Intel, Nvidia come out with the next platform. They want to change that and they can't because they can't remove the heat. And I was seeing this sort of develop over time. So. The technology that uh, Align created, and we call it the Delta Cube, is literally a cube, it's a four-foot cube, and just one of those uh, will remove 146 kilowatts of heat. And then we stack them three high, uh, and then just bring the room with them as we need to, appropriate to the customer's use. Uh, and also, the way it works, um, when you move um, either water or air, over any hot surface, you get this state change. It it absorbs the heat and takes it away. So obviously we're using air. Uh, You typically get about a seven degrees, at the most seven degrees of of heat change, a a delta T um, change. So even if you push more air across, if you're moving it faster, you actually get diminishing returns because it's not over the hot thing long enough to absorb that heat. So rear door heat exchangers, you know, big fans on the back with cooling coils or extra fans on the front, doesn't actually help that much. You get some, but not enough. With this technology, uh, we carefully control how much air is moving across that surface um, through some very sophisticated technology. And uh, we can get a, um, a state change of you know 45 degrees of heat absorption. So we can let our customers They may be, they'll start with that sort of mixed capacity, maybe some three kilowatts with their network gear or 25 um, for their their performance storage or they could ramp up to 50 kilowatts in every cabinet or just have mixed capacity. So it lets the the customer grow as they need to grow. They can expand on demand because their needs are changing. Their customers are driving them to make changes and add more technology. but also they're not fixed, and they they give them much more flexibility, and also control their costs a bit more. But having said that, now we're talking about fifty kilowatts a cabinet. There's. Um, Obviously, there's the hyper compute performers like the Cray systems, you know, the, which are still around. They're owned by HP now, HPE. Um, now, those sort of devices, uh, they have their they have their analogy. and you just we tap those into our our closed water loop, um, and we can get up to 200 250 kilowatts of heat rejection with those with our system. So, and typically in those, you have a couple of those systems in there, and they're surrounded by traditional servers and storage and whatever. So With this hybrid, we can accommodate any of those infrastructures and, again, using a lot less energy, typically 80% less energy. Um, We don't have to use water to cool, which is really important nowadays. So much water is wasted uh, through evaporation. We we can be entirely waterless, and we are. Uh, in several of our centres, and all our future data centres will be totally waterless. Even those older ones that we have when the company was founded, they use 85% less water, if we use it at all. Um, And that's, you know, we're talking about places like Phoenix, which typically in the last few months has been, you know, in the high... Uh, you know hundred and you know 120 700, degrees So we've had to use a little bit, but that water cycled around many many times uh, We use virtually none at all. So that that's really what brought me here is that technology to take the, um, our customers platforms to the next level and uh, And then there's some other things as well, but that's that's the focus of, of why I came here
1: either in the early days or when, when you joined or, or you know, well, it'd be interesting to see where you start there. But when this technology was being created, with any technology, right, you got to have to work through decisions and trade-offs about how you approach it and what you do first, right? Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs that the company has had to work through. So the, the first
0: part of that technology, with the first revision, was a, an overhead unit really efficient, really effective. But um, that involved a lot more structural work because they were heavy devices. So, um, and we still have a lot of that running today. A lot of our customers love that. You know, very high performance compute um, operating that way. But we found that we wanted, you know, as we were innovating, we were looking at different ways. So we we transitioned from that overhead to these rack mount, Oh, sorry, these wall-based units. And also, that was that was driven by some of our customers who, you know, we have some that their technology is very, um, uh, I would say, confidential. So, you know, they don't they, they would rather not have people going into their their space to to do maintenance on the equipment. So, with this new technology, it's all in the wall. So we maintain it from outside of the of the envelope of their room. So, you know, for, for those customers that uh, maybe they're FISMA moderate, you know, they're, they're federal or there's some level of, of security or there's a compliance issue. Um, or it's just it's one of our customers that really don't want people in there. So uh, we, by moving to this in-wall unit, we allow them just to maintain everything that they do. And we've continually modified and, and are tweaking the technology. Um, we used to have, we used to deploy it with uh, with chimneys, overhead chimneys in the hot hour that poured in. Now we're we're going to a, um, a ceiling plenum, so we have mixed air. We're seeing much more efficiency. So, and we monitor everything. We monitor you know the air going in, the air coming out, the water temperatures, the energy. So we're constantly tweaking and changing as we go to optimize um, the performance for our customers and also minimize the energy that we're using
1: to to deliver the service to them. How has the product progressed over time? You know, how has your you know, approach to this progressed over time? And how have you guys built your roadmap and figured out, okay, this is the next most important thing to address with Aligned? With this
0: particular one, we've tweaked it over the last year, actually, we, we found a much more efficient fan unit, uh, which brought the energy down and increased the, the, the CFM, you know, how much air is actually moving. Um, oh, and it's important with the air. It's actually uh, volume as opposed to velocity of, of air as well. So if you sta- if you think about you standing in front of a fan, you can f- you know there's a lot of uh, you, know, you can feel the wind on your face as it were. You do feel that, but it's actually the volume of air. So we're, we're very carefully managing managing the air pressure differential to make sure the air is moving slower. But more of it over the surface. So, so we're constantly tweaking those things. We have, you know, we run our own BMS and decent platform. So we we monitor the speed of the fans. We, we're tweaking those all the time, uh, monitoring the air pressure differential between what's the hot aisle, the the, the piece behind the servers, and the outside air. Um, there's just constant, constant monitoring and, and tweaking. And again, we've. Um, for the other end of that equation, once we absorb the heat in this device, it goes in a, in a, um, a closed loop of uh, a, a blend of glycol and water outside the building to um, uh, basically a chiller that then exhausts that into the atmosphere. And we used to build our own. Uh, and you know, seven, eight years ago, uh, when the company was, was doing this, no one could touch that. Industry's caught up, so um, we're actually using off-the-shelf um, chillers now on the outside, but we still haven't found anything that competes or compares even close to the Delta Cube in the data tools themselves. So that's an innovation. So we're not maniacally focused on this is our way, we'll do it this way. We're looking at you know the cost, the, the build cost of our buildings, how we build them, uh, the deployment cost, all of those things constantly. Because whatever it costs us to build and operate these these buildings, there's an implied cost to our customer. They have to pay a portion of that. So we're minimizing um, all of that for our customers to give them the best experience. Well,
1: let's switch to team then. So how do you go about building your team and what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? With, with our market, and, and
0: I'll talk about the whole company in general, because um, uh, we have everything from uh, mechanical engineers to uh, salespeople, sales engineers, um, IT um, engineers, operations people, people who maintain the buildings. Um, our industry is, is, you know, there's a, there's a good, some good feeders into it and there's a lot of interest in it. Uh, you know, we're very involved with um, higher education, we do a lot of internships with people to pull those people in. Um, oftentimes, uh, you can, you can go out and, you know, we're one of many large data center providers, so we look at our competitors and, you know, cherry pick the best people out if we can. We just, we're very careful about that because um, a lot of people come with preconceived ideas and they want to do it their way. Uh, and that's that's the thing I've found with, uh, with technologists anyway. If they've been successful uh, in their past, a lot of them attribute the success of The product or the service to their activity rather than looking at the context and maybe it was circumstance or whatever so you have to be humble enough to say you know we just pivoted really quickly and we saw an opportunity so when we're looking at building teams we're looking for people who have that mindset that humility to say i was part of a team and we did amazing things rather than i did amazing things and i can do those amazing things for you but you have to do it the way i want it done so that's that's really important to have that humility uh, but also the drive to succeed. So it's it's an interesting blend of individual, um, someone who's very driven. So you you have that blend of high alpha, but with the ability to to be you know to team, which is unusual, but we have a lot of them, which is great.
1: Let's talk about scalability then. So how how did you and the company approach scalability when you're starting out on this journey and how are you kind of fighting this as you grow and this could be team scalability approach you know all, all of those things
0: we're very fortunate with our funding model we're a private company so a lot of the companies in the data center world are, are publicly traded um, um, and a lot of them are private uh, Several years ago, data center became an interesting asset class for particularly the institutional investment community. So, a lot of our competitors are are owned by institutional funds. Um, We're very fortunate with um, our owners, Macquarie, which is either the largest or second largest um, infrastructure uh, investor on the planet, depending on who they've just bought or sold. So, it's, I mean, this very very close Um, the group that we're uh, managed by our funds are managed by typically do real infrastructure so by that i mean bridges and roads and airports and wind farms and solar and waste energy so their um, return on investment profile is very different when when a company and the ones i've been in the past when we're raising funds usually it's a seven-year fund and there's good you know good money coming out from the fund the first three or four years but after that the investment managers are like well I'm gonna divest myself from this fund pretty soon so I don't really want to give you any more so I want to maximize my return we don't have that we you know with with our investment fund they not that we have you know as much money as we want we have to be judicious but uh, we have a we don't have that restriction so that enables us to make big bets so as an example a couple of years ago, we decided that as the market was growing so quickly, some of the key components out there that everybody needs—generators, UPSs, uh, switchgear—which are usually um, you know incredibly expensive and big items—the um, hyperscalers were going out and just buying manufacturing cycle. They were going to the generators and say, for the next three months, everything you build is mine, and the next one would come and do the same. So for us. In you know non non hyperscale um, providers, that was really tough. So we went out and pre-purchased fifty megawatts of capacity from all of those suppliers. So we have that in inventory, ready to roll. So last year, for example, um, there was a particular. There's a device called a, a PDU, a power distribution unit. It's it's the big box that is the it's the last stage of. As the energy comes in from the utility through all of our gear is the last device before we deliver it to the customer and then they consume it so um, there's a particular component in that for this market it's, it's manufactured in two places two factories in mexico and both of them were closed down for several months because of covid so Everything else was there, but it was just this one component. We had them in inventory, so we were able to carry on deploying our technology and and delivering our customer services, and services and built out so much more capacity last year. So there's that in that future planning and forethought. Also, how we build the products, Several years ago, we decided to make sure all the electrical stuff, instead of having discrete rooms in the buildings with all the transformers and you know the UPSs and things, we put them in containers and they're manufactured off-site and just delivered to us. So we can deploy that really, really quickly. And the added benefit of that is because it's made in a factory, um, we, we're not subjecting the environment that we're building with all those extra bits of copper, with those little bits and pieces that get when you're cutting and crimping cables. With, with the best will in the world, they're going to get into the into the water supply. They're going to leach down. So that's that's just bad. Everything we do is based on environmental sustainability, um, materials we use, how we ship to market. Uh, we we conform to ESG. You know, there's lots of Grisby. There's lots of things that we do. Um, to ensure that we're doing the right thing to, to have a scalable product that our customers want um, I mean there's this lot we could I could talk for hours and hours and hours and all of the different minutiae of what we do but that's first and foremost it's customer service and sustainability
1: in everything we do those two points on scalability the uh, the pre-ordering the inventory and having it on hand and then having it containerized too, are brilliant
0: for that side, when you're looking at the procurement people, you need people who understand the industry. We, we've got um, um, some, some of our team, they've actually worked for the manufacturers in the past. So they understand how you build a UPS, they understand how the cells come together or the lithium. And we use lithium titanic oxide rather than lithium ion because you can have them closer together. There's no thermal runaway issue. Um, we're also looking at sodium, we're constantly looking at the next thing to optimize our service. But having people from the industry who can, they can talk the chemistry. They understand what's going on. They can, they understand the supply chains
1: for our suppliers. It's uh, it's critical. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? You know, I
0: think I'm, I'm probably most proud of the team that we have. Um, It's the people. Um, there's that old adage you know work hard play hard which I think a lot of people they just say that um, because it's it's, there's no playing hard there's just a lot of working hard or there's too much playing hard and then there's no business afterwards but um, we have a very good healthy balance so we do work really hard but everyone's very committed Uh, but we also we have a lot of fun together Um, I'm, I'm very I'm still quite British so I don't Say you know we're a family, but everybody else says you know we're a family. It uh, it's just you know way too British to say that, but um, it really it does feel that way. We do care about each other and, and we look after each other, um, and we look out for each other. But we also challenge each other. So it's a it's a very um, we don't just let people we don't let people off if they make a mistake they own up to it, and uh, but we don't uh, persecute them for it. It's you know everyone. And that's also very important, to have the environment where, um, obviously, we hope you don't make too many mistakes, but if you make a mistake and learn from it, that's good. Um, and as long as it doesn't impact too much and we can re- you know, we can uh, change and pivot, that's okay. Um, we also have checks and balances so that doesn't happen. But uh, we allow people to go beyond and push them beyond their comfort zone to really think more entrepreneurial,
1: more innovatively. Well, let's flip the script then. So tell me about a mistake you made, and how you and your team responded to it. I think what we'll
0: talk about here: um, we had a a platform, uh, a, a BMS, uh, um, a piece of technology that manages all the building, the building management system. It monitors all of that, and we were using a technology that was um, uh, was looked like it looked like life. So we wanted to bring that in, um, and uh, we decided to put it into a data lake. And uh, we threw it in there, um, but the team we had uh, to do that um, didn't actually follow the procedures that we wanted. So we had to rebuild that. But what we have now, and that's just a case of you know we allowed something to go on. It looked like it was right, but in the end of the day, it wasn't. So last year we realised that we had to do some modifications. Um, so that's not that's not really a mistake. That's just. Um, you know, how you build a product and service, but everything, you know, we've pivoted, we've, we've, uh, we've refocused and retooled. Yeah. I can't think of one that, uh, certainly one I'm not prepared to admit to an, in a public forum.
1: <laughs> so what does the future look like for aligned, uh, for the company and for your team? This market is growing um
0: and you know I hesitate to use exponential because it's sort of an overused term but it, it really is um as our, as the endpoint devices are accelerating whether it's an IOt device in in the home or in a factory or if it's a 5G connected whatever I mean th- things are just growing like crazy um you know we live in a, an entirely digitized society now that that's where we are um you know I'm I'm uh, a Gen X, so I'm a, a digital native, <clears throat> I moved into this. Um, millennials now are the majority of the workforce and they are pretty much digital. Um, uh, they, they grew up with this. They don't know anything different. Uh, and the, the Z's and, and the next ones, it, it's just commonplace. So the the demand for technology and the demand for the services is just going like crazy. So. For us, as the the um, the repositories, you know, we we manage and build the engines of the fourth industrial revolution, which sounds very very grandiose. But our buildings are the ones that host the servers and storage and devices that service all of those requirements. So for us, we're constantly looking at where the next place to build is. I mean, there are there. Are there are discrete pockets around the world where you can say, "Yeah, there's there's a cluster of data centers here, there, and there," and there for either historical reasons, because that's where the internet was created and founded, or there's um, low energy costs and, and uh, taxation per. you know, there's different reasons why why data centers are built where they are. But we're constantly looking at the next place where we can get ahead of the curve, to secure the land and ready to go, and also constantly iterating on our design process so that we can build faster, more sustainably, uh, and give a, a much better product to our customers at a lower cost to them, a lower operating cost. That's really what it all comes down to. So so North America is is our current market. We're looking out in, um, in uh, Europe as well as South America. Um, we have sister companies that Asia pack and there's just a an enormous need for for this product and service um, out there
1: let's switch to you Phil who influences the way that you work you know CEO an architect a startup individual a prominent person in the data center space name a person that you look up to and why
0: I came here uh, because of the CEO uh, Andrew I'd, I'd uh, watched his career over, he, he used to, um, he was the chief revenue officer for the largest data center company on the planet and decided and was asked to come and run this business as a, uh, from the founders sort of, they got to the point as far as they could go, um, he came in to take it to the next level. He is a strong driver for me, also he's my boss and we stand next to each other in an open office environment. So But uh, yeah, he, um, uh, I, I get a lot of, um, uh, my thought and direction from, from him. He's, uh, he's an extraordinary man, um, his drive and, uh, and his passion, and also his compassion for the people. Outside of that, um, I read a lot. Um, I read a lot and uh, um, I'm uh, actually uh, dyslexic. So I, I look at other dyslexics like Richard Branson, or you know, people like that who are very innovative. And that helps me think differently. I think I approach problems in a very different fashion because my brain works slightly different. I see the world slightly differently. So um, I'm constantly looking for, uh, I look outside of, of those things, but uh, yeah, my passion is doing crazy things. Um, and uh, when I'm doing those crazy things, I come up with interesting ideas and, and I, I approach problems in a different fashion as a consequence.
1: we talked about a mistake right but a little bit different spin if you could go back to the beginning what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach for light i think um i would have tried to push
0: us to be a bit more aggressive early on but um that's just me i i like to uh i like to build things so um but I don't think that's a problem. I, I think we we did things. For, you know, we were very you know, judicious with our capital expenditure. We did the right things at the right time. Uh, for me personally, um, I think I would have liked to have come here earlier, but I was busy doing something else with another firm. So, and I'd looked at the cooling. That that became apparent to me um, about five or six years ago, looking at the way things were going. But. Uh, um, I was busy doing other things, but if, I, if I'd focused on that you know, five, six years ago, I probably would have jumped ship. I would have approached this company a lot earlier, and a lot on that, but I tend not to have any regrets. I always look forward and I, everything's a learning experience. And I, I'm very open. I, I learn by uh, my mistakes or missteps. I'm just not gonna tell you about them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Phil, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: Mm, that's that's a great question, because uh, I've done a lot of mentoring for for companies like that, early early stage startups, and the thing that I've seen more and more. I mean, typically the creator, the uh, the entrepreneur, has a vision for the product, and they're they're pushing that. I, what I would say is. Hold that with a light touch, because um, even though you're driving that, the market might change. You may need to pivot, but all the energy and the technology and the assets that you've brought into this, uh, be very open to pivoting depending on an opportunity or a market, um, because trying to sell an idea is tough, it's hard, but if you have something, if you have some demonstrable technology or product, uh, it it may be may serve another purpose, the one you didn't envisage, because things are changing so quickly. I, but that's what I do. But don't give up on your dreams. And if you can, ultimately, if you can find someone to pay you to do what you love doing, then that's great. And if you, it depends on the drive. If they want to be a CEO, because some some entrepreneurs that's their focus. Some just want to build a product. Um, if you want to build a product, then just uh, you may not end up being the CEO of your own company. But that's okay as long as you can drive that and you can then do the next thing. Um, if you just want to
1: be a CEO, that's that's a different, different path entirely. Well, Phil, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story and how you got involved with Aligned. Oh, my pleasure. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.